G'day and welcome to the Noob Sparrow Podcast. My name's Turbo, and if you are joining us for the first time ever, all we do is talk about spearfishing. So we basically, my good mate Shrek and I, call a prominent Spiro from anywhere in the world that may have any kind of expertise in spearfishing and chat to them for about 45 minutes all about spearfishing. And the idea is to help everybody get better at spearfishing. We can all learn something from somebody, and uh, that's our goal here, to, to basically help everyone get better at spearfishing. Now, I hope you enjoyed our last episode with Eckhart Bankenstein. You wouldn't believe it, but we spelt his name wrong all over social media, and he got he pinned us for it. He made us look absolutely foolish, but Shrek caught, took the rap for that one. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing, but uh, he definitely set us straight. So thanks, thanks Eckbert, Eckhart. Sorry, mate. Oh, keep... But uh, I hope you enjoyed that. It was all about crayfish. And uh, he lives down there in Melbourne, and uh, he loves catching crayfish. He just loves seafood. He loves prepping seafood. It was a really fun episode, actually, and um, I, I learned a ton, and I'm keen to get down to Melbs and uh, catch some crayfish with the Eckhart one day, hopefully, fingers crossed. Anyway, today's episode is Shrek flying solo. Uh, he Right now, Shrek is somewhere in Mongolia, I believe. Uh, as many of you may know, he teaches English at the moment over there in China, and he's away on a little... little trip in Mongolia so he is completely off the grid but before he left he did a cracking interview with uh, Alex Davis now he's originally from the UK but uh, now he runs a spearfishing um, company called Spearfishing Barbados and it's bloody awesome and what we talk to him or what Shrek talks to him all about is uh, lionfish hunting lionfish how to hunt lionfish what it's all about and how to eat how to prepare lionfish because uh, he loves eating. Obviously, he actually sent me a text message saying it's quite funny. We talk a lot about eating lionfish, my favourite. So he loves to uh, chow down old Shrek and uh, he gets the the inside on lionfish. So, guys, this is a great episode. Hope you enjoy it just before we get into it. Um, just want to say I sent out an update on the book. Um, we're a little bit behind schedule. We had a uh, little problem with a printer, but we found another printer and we're on our way. So um, we'll keep you updated, but it's all looking very good and it should move pretty quickly from here on. So uh, thanks for your patience, guys, and um, thanks to everybody too for responding to the uh, surveys to get your info. If you haven't done that, shoot me an email. If you don't think I've got hold of your uh, mailing address, let me know. But should have everybody at this stage. So it's, uh, it's, getting, very, it's getting close. It's moving along quite well. I'm getting very excited. Guys, all right, enjoy this episode. Um, Shrek talking about lionfish and eating lionfish with Alex Davis. G'day guys, in today's episode we have talked about lots of different spearfishing equipment. Chances are you can get your hands on most of it at spearfishing.com.au. They've got competitive prices and an awesome hassle-free returns policy. They uh, have $15 flat rate shipping Australia-wide. Chances are, if you order that equipment today, it will be at your doorstep tomorrow. And you can even save a little bit more money by using the code NoobSpiro at checkout. That'll save you a further $20 on every purchase over $200. It also helps support the NoobSpiro podcast. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and save some money on some gear. Thanks for listening, guys. G'day, guys. Uh, we'll just welcome Alex Davis to the show. Um, he's operating a business, uh, a spearfishing business down there in Barbados. Uh, 
uh, tell us a little bit about it, Alex, and how you got started down there over in Barbados. Yeah, so I kind of I got really really into spearfishing after moving here in uh, in 2011, and around that time we weren't really seeing the lionfish. I, you know, there was the odd one or two getting picked up by uh, deep traps and stuff, but we weren't really seeing them on the reef. And over time, I realised that more and more visitors to the island were really curious about the sport of spearfishing, but as most of us will know that you know the only way to get into it is to put down quite a bit of money to get started you've got to buy all the gear just to get in the water and, and give it a go unless you're fortunate yeah. enough to have someone to to lend you everything and show you how to do it so it kind of opened my eyes that you know i wanted to spearfish as much as physically possible but i didn't want to become a fisherman i didn't want to rely on selling my catch in order to pay my rent you know um, yeah yeah so i kind of went down the route of let's let's see if this is a viable business um and Literally three days after putting the website live and uh, putting a, a price there on the website, um, I had my first booking. Um, and oh, that, wow. that was when all hell broke loose in my head. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is real. So the lionfish you know, invasion was kind of a, uh, we started seeing one on the reef and that was like the big prompt that, that gave me the courage to actually make the website live. Um, yep. I've been teetering with the idea, but just didn't have the confidence initially to think that this was something you know, that I could actually do. Um, you know, in the long run. When the lionfish yeah. came along, it was kind of that, that push that, hey, uh, you know, this is something you can really kind of spread awareness about. Um, you know, it's not all about uh, how many fish you catch, it's about the quality. And for anyone out there that's eaten lionfish, they'll know that they are one of the best eating fish that we have here in the Atlantic, which is strange because they shouldn't be here. So it's one of those things where they're super easy to hunt because they're invasive, yeah. they don't have these predators, so you can get right up in their face. So they're, they're fantastic for people that are learning spearfishing. Um, it gives you that, that big satisfaction of you know, taking a fish, take, going home and eating it without just being disappointed all the time. And the, and the gear's pretty simple too for hunting them. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a lot about sort of lionfish in your veterans vault later in the show, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, are you, guys, are you just starting with these guys with like a three, three prong pole spear? Yeah, so we, we enter the water with spear guns. Um, all the client, all the guys that come diving with us, you know, we'll give them a spear guns between kind of 90, 110 centimeters, but we will also have a three prong attached to the buoy and stuff. And uh, we normally use the guns to kind of mark the bottom where the lionfish are. We'll grab the pole spear okay. and send them down with the pole spear. Okay. All right. So how long have you been spearfishing? And um, I mean, pretty, pretty glamorous start there in, in Barbados. I mean, the conditions are perfect by the sounds of it. Yeah. I. Uh, I didn't grow up spearfishing, but as soon as I moved to the island and realized I could just go out in a pair of shorts and see all the way to the bottom, um, that was it. That, that was all I needed to know, you know, to want to, uh, to get into the sport. Um, so that was just over seven years now. All right. Tell us a little bit about some of the conditions around and where you're diving and um, what's, the, what's the sort of the topography like in the benthos? This is the part where people often feel like I'm bragging, <laughs> where I take a lot of flack. <laughs> a bad day for us is 10 meter viz. You know, I would say the average is 15, 20 meter visibility year round. Oh, wow. The coldest it will ever get is kind of 26 Celsius in the middle of the summer. <laughs> it's been as warm as 30. Right now, today, wow. we were at 27. So we're kind of starting to warm up again as we get back into summer. So those are the conditions. Reef is super easy to access from the beach. Um, a two minute swim will put you in 10 meters of water. Um, a five minute swim will put you in 20 meters of water. Wow. And. Um and so no boat, you're not using boats here at all? You, you just, um, it's all around the island? Yeah, 99% of the, of the tours that we run, it's just straight off the beach to swim right out. Um, we do use a boat for our blue water charters when we go for Wahoo and stuff, but um, even that, you, you know, we've speared Wahoo less than a mile from shore. So we do still use a boat, but it is possible. 
All right, cool. And and all right, what what are the kind of the range of species you get there? So you get you're getting blue water stuff. You're getting yellowfin tuna, and uh, are you getting dog tooth tuna as well? Or? No, no dog tooth um, and yellowfin tuna. Um, we've been running the blue water charters now for about two years, and I'm yet to see a yellowfin. I know that okay. the guys do the fishing boats at least catch them, but they are usually a little, little further offshore. Um, the most common species that we that we get on our blue water charters is wahoo. Our success rate with Finding the wahoo is extremely good. Uh, we've only had a handful of, of times when we haven't managed to even see a wahoo. Putting them in the boat, of course, is an entirely different story, but <laughs> um, we do normally find them. Uh, mahi-mahi, yep. especially with you know flotsam or anything like that that's, that's floating around, especially with the sargasm we've got going around in the Caribbean right now. Um, there's a lot of small mahi-mahi coming with that. Um, oh, so that's excellent. the blue water stuff. And then the reef yep. species is um, surprising to a lot of Americans, for sure, is uh, barracuda is one of the big catches down here. No cigarettera, so um, they're perfectly safe to eat. Um, yeah. Turbo, Turbo, who's not joining us today, has had, had cigarettera, but he, and he's learned quite a lot about it. But um, and and uh, I mean, if listeners want to learn more about cigarettera, they can go back and listen to quite a few lessons uh, to quite a few episodes about it. But um, that that's great to hear. You don't have it there in um, Barbados. Um, how far away is kind of the cigarettera from your part of the world? Um, it's more Central America, is it? Yeah, it, it does tend to be more of a Florida Bahamas thing. But I have heard uh, many years ago, I've heard of guys in Trinidad and Tobago dealing with a few issues of cigarettera down there. The general rule we apply here, at least in, in Barbados, or the, my general rule is um, we don't really take you know cudas or, or eat barracuda that's over kind of 30 pound at, at that size you never know where they the way they were born um and anyone who uh, knows about cigarette knows it's it's you know once they have it that's it they have it so we tend to leave well, the big ones alone yeah i mean you and i were chatting before the show and you told me that the price of barracuda is the same as tuna there um, yeah pretty much that's that's crazy because like a lot of the time in Aus in australia at least uh, people won't won't really shoot barracuda because they're not really well known for for great eating quality, but um, that, so that's very interesting. What what, what species of barracuda are you getting? Uh, it's just the the standard great barracuda that we have here in the Atlantic. Ah, okay, excellent. All right, cool. All right, and so um, they're a big they're a big fish to to um, to shoot as well. Like a thirty pound barracuda is a, a lot of fun to shoot. Oh yeah, the small ones taste better, and you know. For me, it's always been about the quality, not the quantity. A big yeah. one's not, a big one's great fun. It, you know, it's a hell of a experience. But um, as far as eating quality goes, to be honest, I, I prefer them in the kind of ten pound range. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, what? Um, are you guys sort of got two seasons there? You've got look a, a winter and a, and, a, and a wetter summer. Is that <laughs> yeah. kind of the way? We've yeah. got we've got summer and we've got cold summer. <laughs> no, we do obviously have a hurricane season. Um, we're quite fortunate here in Barbados that the hurricanes don't usually um, hit us directly. Yeah. Evident, evident like last year with Dominica, unfortunately, that hurricane, you know, skimmed right over our northern tip and went straight into Dominica. And that's kind of how we, we have, we're affected. But in the middle of the summer, the sea is usually nice and calm, nice and flat. Visibility is, you know, 30 meters plus, um, but not as good for for the fishing, especially like the blue water stuff. Okay. And then our sort of real peak of our fishing and our um, fishing season at least is kind of late September to to basically now, to basically May. Um, you'll still okay. get wahoo and stuff all year round, but uh, just not as not as much. Not as prolific. Correct. All right, cool. All right, interesting. Okay, so you moved to Barbados seven years ago and the clarity and the temperature of the water attracted you to it, but what kind of things did you struggle with when you started out? 
Uh, finding people as keen as I was. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that that was really it. Um, you know, I, I can say hand on heart that in seven years I've only dove solo once, and it was a you know it's the reason why I'd never done it again. So it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's difficult finding good buddies. Uh, mm, for sure. Not so difficult so, nowadays. I've got more people asking me to dive than the other way around nowadays, but um, <laughs> still. Oh, that's a good problem to have. Okay, um, so how did, how did you get around it? Like, I mean, sometimes when you're starting out too, your skills aren't quite up to par, and so guys kind of can be put off by the fact they're probably going to have to dive shallow for the day. So how did you how did you get past that? Did you just slowly make make friends, or? Yeah, pretty much. I was really fortunate that um, uh, my one of my brother-in-law's good friends uh, grew up spearfishing and was kind of grateful enough that he would take me out and kind of show me the ropes. It, it took me three dives to shoot my first fish, and uh, at the time, <laughs> at the time, I was using uh, like a little sixty-centimeter gun, maybe seventy. Basically, my my buddy's like lobster gun, his backup gun. Um, yeah, yeah. I, ha I hadn't yet invested in my own at that point. And I remember shooting yeah. my first my first jack and watching the spear bounce off the fish. <laughs> um, that was yeah my that was third dive like first fish that I'd actually touched with the spear and it just bounced right off of it. So wow. um, that was the challenge initially was it was very demotivating not coming home with anything and having my wife go are you not caught a fish yet? Um, <laughs> but the diving itself was was for me like a massive satisfaction. Um, yeah, I'm really fortunate I don't have equalization issues anything like that. You know, so CO2 tolerance was a massive thing initially. I could touch 30 feet, but had no downtime. And that obviously, as we all know, comes with time. The more you do it, the easier yeah. it gets. For sure, for sure. All right, cool. All right, um, very interesting. Okay, um, okay. so so you, after a while, you started to make some friends. Thankfully, you had this guy that sort of showed you the ropes and you sl how did you upgrade your gear there in Barbados? How do you import gear? Uh, expensive, very, very expensively. Um, Spear guns, for example, carry a 100% duty in Barbados. So most of the stuff like, you know, uh, I don't want to put any particular brands out there, but very common brands are often um, double the price in Barbados as they are in Florida, for example. Um, oh, wow. So it's a bit of a challenge to get started. It's very expensive buying everything locally. And if you do ship it in, you're going to get hit with duties anyway. So, you know, it depends on the specifics. You know, when I first got here and started freediving, almost no one was really using long fins. The shops weren't selling long fins. It, it took me a lot of time to really push the shops to start bringing in more specific equipment. Um, took me about three years of, of nagging uh, the manager <laughs> at, the, at the tackle store here to finally bring in a Rob Allen gun. Um, we were using um, smaller, you know, European style guns at that point. Um, okay. Yeah. All right, very interesting. Okay, so you've had a, you, you've really helped establish spearfishing properly there by the sounds of it. All I right, um, I, I wouldn't go that far. It, it's it's done commercially a lot. A lot of guys will make homemade guns or, or old. Uh, they'll they'll get a handle off someone and they'll they'll buy an aluminum pipe and um, get an old you know spear and stuff. It's been around. You know, I wouldn't say I've pioneered it in any regard at all. It's it's been a commercial venture for a lot of local guys for many 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 years. I think I've what I'd like to at least hope is that I've kind of bought more of the sustainable side of things to the to the yep. forefront when it comes to spearing uh, that's kind of always been my game plan yeah yeah nice nice yeah some awareness of, of your environment around you and and doing the right thing by it's a good idea particularly if you plan to stay anywhere for a long time and um and, th and that's a great mindset to have all right look what's um one of the most memorable fish you've you've taken in your time there oh uh there's a few um on the reef it would probably be one of my favorite fish to eat off the reef uh, is a cereal mackerel. 
um, relatively small species. Um, I, th I believe the current world record is only 16 pound. Uh, my personal best for that one uh, was, was 13. So not super close, but close enough that it, it meant a lot, um, tasted great. And the way I, I got it was just, I was there with a the client in the water. Um, he'd asked me to hold his gun while he, while he sorted his mask out. And we're in about 80 feet of water and I'm holding two guns and I, I look watching the guy and I just happened to look underneath me and there's a school of about eight of them almost at the end of my fins. Um, oh, wow. So it was, it was uh, there was no real challenge in that particular hunt. I just took a, took a quick sip of air and top. rolled over and he was there. So, but I've, I've not been able to repeat it since. Uh, <laughs> probably the next most memorable was actually losing a Wahoo uh, to the flopper not engaging or the barb or whatever you want to call it. Probably yep. a 40 pound Wahoo, something like that. Stoned it, oh, wow. uh, hit it right through the spine with a, a real gun, a 110 centimeter real gun. Um, okay. Had the spear pulled right out. <laughs> and oh, no. So memorable, but not because I caught it, but because I lost it when I shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, that sucks. So I fed so, a shark that day. Oh, okay. I was going to, that was the next thing I was going to ask. Like, um, so, because sometimes you can stone a fish and then chase it down, but um, often when you're in blue water, they sink too fast, um, if, especially if they've got the Harlem shake on. Um, when, when, you, um, when you said sharks, what, what sharks do you deal with there? So to be perfectly blunt, we actually have a real lack of sharks and I, I actually see it as a bit of an issue. I would say that in the years I've been diving here, I would say that in Barbados at least, we have sharks on probably 30% of our coastline. I know sharks will move around, it's a big open ocean and stuff, but to be able to go and see one uh, with some sort of predictability, there's only about 30% of our coastline where you can go and do that. And that's the really rough oh, wow. northeast sort of corner of the island. Uh, most commonly wow. we have nurse shark, after that would be reef shark um and then very very rarely we'll get you know bulls and tigers and stuff but again it was extremely rare yeah yeah we dive and a lot in the south and west and even with a stringer full of lionfish gutting and bleeding them uh, leaving them on a stringer on a buoy um, in seven years i've never had a stolen fish at least off of like a reef dive at least on the south and west side oh wow that's very quiet for sharks um it, it's like, a problem yeah right Okay, interesting. Okay, I thought you might be dealing with more more reef sharks here than than anything, but that, that sounds like um, the population's quite quite um quite low. Many so. many Caribbean islands fish quite indiscriminately for sharks. Um, it's something that I don't want to call myself an advocate, but it's something that I do tend to give a lot of the guys heat here for, you know, for catching sharks. Um, but it's it's tradition. It's, they've been doing it longer than I've been on this earth, so. Um, I can call my, I can make my claim, I can make my point, but uh, they'll continue to catch sharks and sell them and eat them, and um, they won't listen to to a foreigner like me. <laughs> it's it seems like we're almost at odds with you, Alex, because in our part of the world, there's like a lot a lot of spear fishermen would say there's an overpopulation, particularly of some of some specific species of sharks. Like, um, you know, you can't get in the water without seeing without seeing sharks and in some spots you get harassed by sharks and in parts of South Africa the, the great whites are pretty bad I don't know whether that's a, a mating or a, a, you know a congregating sort of behavior but um, in Australia they also deal with plagues of sharks at times as well and, and there's no fishery at all for sharks and I kind of wonder whether that sort of happy balances because we see it all the time and you, you're quite well aware when there's no apex predators but sometimes there's too many as well so it's kind of it seems to be either one way or the other. At least here the, the biggest threat to any diver or spear fisherman uh, in Barbados at least is speedboats, jet skis. That, that's okay. your biggest challenge, that's your biggest uh, threat at least. 
Um, okay. I would love to see more sharks. I really, really would. Um, I've done a bit of diving in the Bahamas uh, when I go over the, the vertical blue competition and get out spearing oh, okay. with that guy over there, Luke, uh, Luke Malius, who just got the Kubera world record on a pole. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I saw a photo of that. That thing was a beast. Oh, my God. Uh, of course, the next thing he's going to hear for the next two years is, take me to that spot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And as if you're going to. <laughs> but I, I, love, I love diving with Luke and seeing sharks because it's not something we get to see. But it's one of those grasses greener, right? If you dive with a lot of sharks, it'll be a real beauty to, to not see them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't mind diving with sharks, but I mean, sometimes when there's when there's too many, or they're they've had some behaviour sort of taught into them where they're not they're not afraid of you at all, and they associate you with feeding. That can be a big issue. Um, but uh, that, I mean, that's a, that's a that's a big debate to have at some stage. Um, so you you mentioned boat strikes and jet skis and stuff like that. What's the is that a, is it quite a bad boating culture there? Um, like in terms of awareness about dive flags and stuff like that? It's a bit of, bit of a wild west. Uh, dive flags are not mandatory. It's the, the, when I first started up the spearfishing business, of course, the, the very first thing I did was try and dig up every last little piece of legislation to make sure I was staying you know, well within you know, the law. Um, I found one piece of legislation that said you know, marine vessels must stay uh, 70 yards away from dive flags, but I've, I'm yet to meet a speedboat or jet ski operator that even knows that law exists. Um, it's not enforced. Um, yeah. So it's more of a case of just being doing a d due diligence and just picking the right spots. You know, not not diving in those hot spots. It's a shame because they have good reef in some of those, you know, west coast areas. But uh, it's just not worth the risk. The guys are often, you know, had a few rum punches in them at midday and uh, still out hustling trying to get business off the beach. So <laughs> you have to to be smart about it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I can imagine. Um, and the, the pace of life on some of those islands is a, is a lot different than the mainland. Um, all good. All right, man, what's one of your favorite hunting techniques you, you use? Uh, I think they refer to it as what, aspetto, just straight up downtime, bottom time. Um, uh, definitely, I mean, for, for things like lionfish, at least, there's, there's the hunting technique is just getting the first shot in the right spot. But for all the other species, the, the bottom time is what's going to make the biggest difference. Um, okay. Majority, so when you're teaching... Yeah, go on. When, you, when you're teaching someone how to sort of use it, you, I mean, obviously you assess how, how, what their skills are like, but, I mean, if they're, if they're starting to show, you know, okay, this guy's okay at freediving, um, and he, it looks like he just needs a little bit more technique, how would you walk someone through the Espedo technique, Espedos technique? Yeah, I think that um, probably the way I, I would get people to try and not visualize it, what's the word I'm looking for, to try and um, think about their body language. Uh, and I think we've all heard it before, you know, not uh, pretend like you're not interested in that fish, keep them in the corner of your eye, you know. One of the biggest advices I give people, not necessarily like on a, on a one day trip with me, but on a, like an ongoing basis is to um, go out with no spear gun and just go free diving around some shipwrecks and try and get within almost touching distance of the species that you're looking to hunt, snappers or whatever. And then assess like, you know, when you don't have a gun in your hand, nothing you do gives off the hunting vibe because yeah. you have no way to hunt. So then it's yeah. trying to replicate that, but with a gun or with a pulse Okay, spear. Yeah, okay. That's an interesting way to do it. Cause yeah, when you, when you don't have a spear gun and you, or you swap it out for a camera, it's amazing what you can, what you can do. But, it's all um, body language, you know, it's, it's the way I learned really to hunt is spend a lot of time just straight up free diving learn the nuances of fish and what worked and didn't work like everyone's doing this hand flicky thing and it just 
it just doesn't really do anything. Um, it's much more about body body language, you know, than anything else, rather than flicking fingers. I mean, kicking sand works and stuff, um, but for certain species, you know. Yeah. So that's that's usually it. I would say that uh, relaxation is key. Relaxation is absolutely key. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. What about uh, toughest situation? What's one of the what's one of the um, most difficult experiences you've had out on the ocean, and what did you learn learn from it? I think probably the first time we had, I had to, ever had to deal with a shark uh, wanting the fish more than me um, was probably the toughest because it's not not a regular occurrence. So it's one of those things where you you always hope that you're not going to turn the water brown, but when it really happens, it's it's a different <laughs> story. Um, yeah, first first time a, a reef shark tried to steal a fish from me, um, about a six foot reef shark, and it wasn't very deep, maybe 40 feet, and I was coming back to the surface. The fish was. Uh, the snapper that I had on the end of my, my spear was kind of thrashing under my fins and the shark came up mouth open right underneath me. And that was the point at which I questioned my decision <laughs> to dive. Um, <laughs> but then you, you know, you stick to your guns and you realize that, you know, the shark is ultimately just as intimidated by you as you are of it if you, if your body language is correct. So, um, most guys here, at least that I speak to, will, will throw their stringer away at the, the slightest little, you know, look of a shark. And as you said earlier, that just teaches them teaches the sharks the wrong the wrong thing. Yeah. So yeah, that was probably the toughest situation is controlling the heart rate and controlling my bowel movements. <laughs> so you narrowly avoided a narrowly avoided a code brown moment. Exactly. And you uh, <laughs> and uh, did did you did you win? Did you get the snapper oh, on yeah. the boat? Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. I, I personally have never lost a fish to a shark. Uh, my my it's, it's happened more than once, but my often reaction is get the fish in my hands as fast as possible. Something that actually Luke in the Bahamas sort of said to me, you know, if you let them have it, they go crazy. If you don't let them have it, they realize they have to fight you for it. And often they, they just won't bother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a often. funny one. Not, not always, but often. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the body language parallels are pretty funny. Like um, when, you're, when, you're hunting, when you're hunting fish, you, you want to have really docile body language. But when you're dealing with sharks, you want to kind of have the opposite. You oh, want yeah. to be perceived as, a, as, a, as, a, as at least a little bit of a threat. And uh, so... When, yeah, when everything um, in your body is telling you to swim away, you you got to do the opposite. You got to swim straight at that shark, and uh, oftentimes they'll back down first. Again, not always, but often. But as I said, we we don't deal with them that frequently here, so I'm not an expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, some of the guys in South Africa, the, the the great whites, they deal with all the time. It sounds pretty scary as well. Guys, today's Noob Sparrow podcast is brought to you by HexAquatic.com. Now, head back to our episode with Warren Bird from Hex and to get a full rundown on full Q&A. But basically, this, this suit utilizes a new technology that helps you to be more stealthy. And not only is the technology unique to Hex, but the suits are actually well-made themselves using high-grade Yamamoto neoprene. They are two degrees Celsius warmer than most wetsuits and they're actually very well constructed and more uh, robust, more durable than, than most of the suits on the market. So check them out at hexaquatic.com. If you want to know a bit more, head back and listen to our interview with Hex creator Warren Burt. Guys, finally a magazine Turbo won't get in trouble with his girlfriend for reading. <laughs> <laughs> Sparing Magazine, it's the world's best spearfishing magazine, and they kindly sponsor the new Spear podcast, which funnily enough is the world's best podcast. Mm. Oh, it's a so, match made in heaven. <laughs> Together at last. Join Sparing Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube and connect with sparingmagazine.com.
All right, let, let's get into Veterans Vault and we want to chat a lot about this lionfish fishery and getting into targeting invasives. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the lionfish situation there in Barbados. So I'll try and do my best kind of marine biologist uh, impression here. So uh, for anyone that doesn't really know much about them, so they were first introduced or first found in Florida in the late 80s, early 90s, and have since kind of spread all throughout the Caribbean. Um, the kind of unique thing about Barbados is that they made their way south before they made their way east. So uh, we were one of the last islands in the Caribbean to actually get them. So right. lionfish uh, will be ready to start reproducing after year one, um, whereas most reef species may take three to five years. You know, other reef species like sharks may take seven, ten years uh, before they start reproducing. So lionfish, they, they start reproducing very quickly um, because of the fact they have no natural predators here in the Atlantic. They pretty much have a fear of nothing. Okay. So they're very bold fish, they will swim right up into your face as a diver. They're often not afraid of you. So double-edged sword, easy to hunt, uh, but very bold fish. So lionfish, once they reach kind of sexual maturity, maybe once they're, you know, four or five years old, uh, they'll be they'll be reproducing um, pretty much once a week and about 30,000-ish eggs a week. So the, oh, the normal wow. numbers that you see are like 2 million eggs a year per lionfish. Obviously, the smaller ones are not pushing out quite that many. Uh, the warmer the water, the faster their rate of reproduction, at least that's what's been observed. So here in Barbados, closer to the equator, their rate of reproduction is probably faster than in like northern Florida, places like that. Um, they're very voracious little eaters. They will eat like half their body weight every day if they want to, if it's available to them. If they're mating, if they're active, uh, they'll just eat and eat and eat. Uh, but conversely, I've heard that they can go three months without a single meal and only lose about 10% of their body mass. So yeah, extremely wow. hardy fish, um, very, very, very adaptable. Um, I've heard unofficial reports that they're making their way up the brackish water streams in Florida, um, just like bull sharks did, which is yeah, right. a massive problem for the mangroves. Um, so yeah, very tough little fish to, to hunt down. Um, they're bottom dwellers. They've been observed living as deep as 1,500 feet on the bottom of the seafloor. Um, so any food source that was down there, shrimp and things like that, uh, unfortunately will be no, no longer. So it's a really, wow. when you talk about lionfish, there's this whole kind of demoralizing part about it, which is that they are what they are. They're disrupting multiple ecosystems as well because of the, the, the range and stuff. Yep, absolutely. They, they eat all the food that our native fish would normally be feeding on. Um, so local reef species, uh, parrotfish, for example, um, you know, they're, they're reef grazers, but them as, as a species are targeted by guys in the Caribbean anyway. So now with the lionfish now also eating those fish, it's just that, that additional um, challenge for sustainability. So when it comes to things like lionfish, this is why you know we put such a big emphasis on them. Um, they, they're easy to hunt, they look beautiful, um, but they taste absolutely amazing. I always give the same thing to people. I say, if you, if you took a pig and ped, fed that pig bacon its entire life, how good do you think it's gonna taste? It's gonna taste pretty good, right? So if you take a lionfish and you feed a lionfish, baby fish for its entire life because it's just eating the babies of everything. Um, the oh. end result is an extremely good tasting fillet. So very satisfying, very sustainable, um, but a big problem. Um, the harsh reality that is that, that by the time my grandchildren go spearfishing, it's probably just lionfish that you're going to be looking at. Maybe in 100 years time, that's all we're going to see. Yeah, right. So are the commercial guys starting to target them as well? Took a little time, yeah, but they are. Um, myself and many others in Barbados, I'm not taking any credit, but a lot of us that were you know, avid lionfish hunters from the beginning um, have really done our best to drive the price as high as possible to really market this fish as a 
um, a luxury fish, you know, a sushi fish, a, a high-end, you know, get in the top restaurants um, yep. to incentivize divers because most guys, it took them years to just even have the courage to, to deal with one. They were way too afraid of getting stung um, naturally, mm. but driving was, the price was, up kind of, you know, gave them that, that monetary incentive. Yeah, I mean, the the spikes and the venom are kind of a little bit intimidating for a Spiro as well. I, um, I've seen some specialized gear getting around like a, um, an open-ended bag where you sort of put your spear in and then pull it out and you don't actually have to handle the fish yourself. Is that something you use? So, yeah, we call those zookeepers. Uh, they can be bags or they can be just straight up PVC pipe with a funnel at one end. Um, that's It's definitely more of a scuba uh, uh, tool. Uh, where, okay. where your bottom time is, you know, limited. So you just want to spear and chuck them in and move on to the next one. As freedivers, I don't really want to be dragging around that that big six-inch PVC pipe uh, or six-inch wide, you know, two-foot-long pipe with me. So when we spear a lionfish, uh, I'll immediately remove the spines, um, do that in the water myself. I don't let my clients do it, but I get them to spear it, but then I'll handle it from there. Um, so out of like 45 spines that you see on a lionfish, only 18 of them have venom, and it's the same okay. 18 on every lionfish. So once you know which ones are the, the real dangerous ones, it makes cleaning them um, really easy and consistent once you know what you're doing. All right, cool. And how did you learn which ones are <laughs> venomous? The hard way. <laughs> the hard way, no. Um, talking so did to you just go one by one? No, talk, talking to local biologists, you know, Googling it. The great thing about this uh, this day and age uh, is that everything's out there online. It's, it, it took me five minutes to, to find a a graphic image online of a lionfish that a biologist had published with these are the venomous spines um, and it's just remembering um, the thing that i think throws a lot of people off is the amount of dexterity that those lionfish have in their spines those top dorsal spines they can lay them totally flat they can move them side to side they're not just like fixed in one position so when you oh, wow. when you approach them from the from the tail to the head they can actually drop those spines and as you're like you know get going out with your scissors um, you can end up impaling yourself, which was uh, prick number two for me. <laughs> I learned that one that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those things. We just cut them all off. If you go on my social media, you'll see that every any picture of a lionfish, every, everything's cut off just for safety, just to make sure there's no issues. Okay, excellent. All right. Um, so I might link up a few videos and pictures in the show notes, so you guys can get an idea about which ones are venomous and which ones aren't yeah and uh and then they can avoid some of those pitfalls themselves instead of having to be stung how many times have you been stung <laughs> uh three times now you think i'd learn my lesson but <laughs> yeah. it, i always say to people uh, you know it's not the lionfish using the spines they don't use their spines for attack they have them purely for defense purposes in the natural environment um divers don't like the lionfish don't swim at you and try and prick you with them you know you get stung because you weren't paying attention because you were rushing because um, lost your focus. I mean, at least that's my excuses. Uh, but yeah, some scuba divers get stung when they're back at the chopping board, you know, after two hours and the fish is dead and they, they prick themselves and still get hit with the venom. Um, they're still able to. So it's a, it's a, it's a protein based neurotoxic venom. So once you put, once you put like 45 Celsius hot water, uh, on it, it will break down that venom and just, it won't reverse the effect, but it will reduce the impact. Okay, so you just treat it like in a hot shower kind of thing if someone does get stuck? Uh, hot shower, yeah, we've, I started, uh, we, we carry like one of those reusable heat packs in the first aid kit um, just to help, you know, um, deal with a bit of the pain. You're not gonna reverse it, you can just kind of put a Band-Aid on it and get it hot and just hope to 
make it a little bit less worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, this is kind of the bad side of things, so but at least guys are aware of kind of what, what the risks are. Like, um, what's one of the most enjoyable things about Lionfish? I mean, obviously you're contributing to sustainability, you're, you're helping that ecosystem to recover and the, and the fillets from the fish are gonna be great eating. Is there any other appeal to it? I mean, obviously you can shoot a lot of them. Yeah, I'd so, say that uh, it's, a, it's a huge satisfaction. I think when you, when you start getting a few of them, you will eventually come across some that are pregnant and that satisfaction knowing that that big well two sacks of eggs that you just pulled out of that, that lionfish's belly will not you know be born and won't and it sounds really rude or nasty or i sound like no no a harsh it sounds guy, like but, great but when you're dealing with these invasives and you get those two egg sacks out and you realize that you just saved you know thousands of eggs from being from being born it's really satisfying um yeah not only that, when you spear a lionfish, you know, uh, I always observe the stomach contents of, in fact, of any fish that I spear to try and learn more about them. But with lionfish, it's like when you pull out, you know, um, a baby stingray or a baby parrotfish or something that's, you know, you didn't expect to find in their belly. Um, yeah. Obviously, sometimes it's, it's too late. The fish, you know, the food's already in there. But at least you can kind of walk away knowing that, hey, I've, I've stopped that, that lionfish from damaging more of our populations. Um, even the baby ones, even the little two-inch lionfish, although we don't bother filleting them, we still kill them. We still, you know, get them on site. Um, if yeah, we, no, if, awesome. If we see it, we try and kill it. That's that's our motto. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I, I, I love all these invasive um, initiatives that are popping up all around the place. Uh, I had a good friend in, in New Zealand who's helped organise the... Uh, they've got a bullnose catfish kill they do there. And uh, in, in Australia, they're starting to you know, really target tilapia, and uh, it's the same in, um, in in parts of Texas at the moment, I saw a, a, little, a couple of episodes ago, I, I let it go. So the, the lionfish one is something I've been wanting to learn about for a little while. Okay, so like, you, you get some um, some guys out with you, they're, they're with spearfishing Barbados for the day, out there to target lionfish. What are some of the, the common mistakes they make? Okay, um, rushing the first shot. So. With the fact that they are invasive, they're not really afraid of divers, even though we're a hundred times their size. Um, it's the moment you, you start throwing steel at them, they quickly realize that you're not their friend. Um, and they're extremely good at hiding. So they are actually nocturnal. So during the day, they're pretty docile. They're just hanging out under rocks or um, just chilling. At night is when they're really active in hunting. So during the day, they're, they're even easier to hunt. But the moment okay. you start throwing steel at them, they will rush up into holes, they'll get in cracks and they, they will tuck themselves in the most obscure little crease in a, in a you know, coral head or something and they become yeah. sometimes impossible to remove. So that can be one of the biggest mistakes I see is people just getting too excited or, or taking shots from far away. So something I always tell people that are starting out is that like most fish that you're trying to hunt will swim away into the blue and gone. Um, lionfish will just run up into a hole and, and you won't be able to get the right angle to get the lionfish back out again. So yeah, the, real, yeah, yeah. the real thing is just get super close. Like I'm talking, the tip of that three prong should be six inches away from that lionfish's face. Um, you know, you, you wanna do everything in your power to try and succeed as much as possible with getting that fish on the end of your spear. If you start taking long shots or, or not taking uh, the time to line up your shot properly, um, you'll miss, that lionfish will run into a hole and all he's gonna realize is that the next time he sees a diver, I need to hide up. So it just yeah, makes yeah. them, it just teaches them that, uh, that we are uh, a foe, which we are, but we don't want them to know that. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so like you take a couple of guys out for the day, how many lionfish do you guys take in a session? 
I mean, it very it varies greatly. Uh, I would say that we very rarely have any dive where we don't get any. So it's a catch twenty two again, no pun intended. Where it's um, you know it's really bad that we have them, but at least uh, for the charters that I run and, and for the beginners that I take out, it's you know it means that hey, we, they might not have the skill yet to hunt a barracuda or a jack or you know a predator. But hey, they should be able to put a spear in their first lionfish and have that satisfaction. So, I would say on average between five and ten is what we probably walk walk out with each dive. Um, oh, yeah. You know, these they're not big fish; they're not massive, so it's, we're not sending them home with, you know, big Ziploc bags full of meat. But um, it's the quality that's there. And so, what I always say to people, you know, we're not about shooting easy reef species. We're about the quality. You know, I want to send someone back to their hotel with some fish that is just melting your mouth, gorgeous, versus yeah, yeah. something that they're going to be like, Ugh, I don't want to eat that again. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds like a good way to get into it and too. And like you say, like, I mean, you, you had your first three dives without shooting a fish. At least, um, you know, if you take these guys out, you can put them onto something. And um, just learning how to shoot a gun and, uh, you know, do all these, all the basic things. Uh, a, a lionfish would be a great fish to, to sort of practice on and warm up on, I guess. And, I, don't, uh, I don't like to, to toot my own horn, but I have a bit of a celeb come out with me again this year, um, yeah. or George of the Jungle. Uh, last year, he shot his first lionfish with a spear gun, um, wasn't yeah. quite able to get deep enough, so we let him use the gun at this time, and he managed to nail it, you know, first shot with a, oh, a little 90. And then this year, his diving was a bit better, he was able to go a bit deeper, so I put a pole spear in his hand, and again, he just nailed it, no problem. Um, oh, wicked. So it's one of those things where it gives people that satisfaction without um, needing to shoot a big fish, you know, they might not, yeah. they might want a big trophy fish for a photo, but that does not, not always realistic. So I saw the photo that was Brendan Fraser from Georgia the Jungle, and, and uh, it's it's got to do some favors for your um, for your charter when you when you're getting guys like that come out. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, I, I, okay, so I do put it on social media, but it's not that I think that that's going to double my, you know, my bookings. Um, again, it's just one of those things where. Uh, I, he, I, I doesn't, don't, he doesn't get any special treatment. He, he gets treated just like anyone else. We, we, we work the dive the same way, you know, handle everything the same way. Um, there's nothing, yeah. nothing special about it. But it's just a nice face. And I grew up watching The Mummy, those, those movies as a kid. <laughs> so the first, the first time awful. I met the guy, I was like, huh? Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, were they were terrible movies. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell him that, though, did you? Well, I, I grew up watching them as a kid, so... I mean, nostalgic. I'm not going to say they were award winners, but uh, it yeah. has that nostalgia for me, correct? All right, cool. So that's pretty cool. Though. So the guys that aren't getting down, maybe he's not getting that. They can't equalize or something, so you can give them a spear again and they can still shoot something. That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, yep. We, we, we get them as shallow as 10 feet in some spots, these lionfish. So it's very easy to tailor a day out diving to suit someone's current ability and still hopefully put some fish in a ziplock at the end of the day. Yeah, nice, nice, cool. All right, cool. And um, okay, so you've got this fish. It's had all the um, 18 spines, the venomous spines removed. What's the kind of the the next process for for preparing that fish for for eating? So gutting and scaling, we do that all in water. Um, it's in terms of scaling, though. I mean, you can literally hit them with a hose, and those scales will come flying off. They're very, very fine, very, very small. They are. It's, it's not that they're inedible, but I just don't like to chew on scales. Um, their skin is incredibly soft and thin, so you can leave the skin on, you can peel the skin off. It's they're extremely easy to fillet. Um, it's always one of those things where the small fish are often harder to fillet because if you any make any mistake with your knife, you know you're losing proportionately more meat. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the challenge yeah, yeah, is, is good technique with your knife when you're getting these small fillets off 
off these fish. Um, but they're incredibly easy. Once those spines are removed, they're incredibly easy to, to handle and deal with. Yeah, that's, that's it. The, the, the challenge is not messing up your cuts. <laughs> yeah, Turbo and I uh, often sort of get a bit of knife envy. You see some of the fillets these guys can um, come away with. It. You know, there's just no zero waste, and uh, it's, it's something he's sort of um, getting lots of photos of on Instagram. And I think we're going to end up going in and doing a, a bit of a, a filleting course with a with a commercial guy because the smaller fish are definitely a challenge. Definitely. Well, like like you see, when you when you mess up a cut, you lose more meat, and it's demotivating when you when you're cutting up a big wahoo and your cut goes wrong and you lose a big chunk it's not a big deal because you've still got a massive fillet um mm. so it's not as bad but yeah i just i spent a lot of time at the market at the fish market here uh just watching the guys fillet just learning the technique from just seeing it firsthand um i'll often when i when we get fish uh especially larger fish normally we do all the filleting in the back of my jeep so i just open up the back door put put a chopping board down on, on top of the uh the box of masks that I have, and we just do it right there, right there on like oh, the nice. beach. But if we get anything that's a bit too big to, to deal with, I'll just take it to the market and do it at the market. So I always had the opportunity to watch, you know, commercial um, fish cutters uh, go at it, and you learn little tricks and tips here and there. Um, excellent, excellent. Yeah. What, what are you? What are your filleting knives? What do you use? Uh, I prefer my Dexter. I have a Dexter Russell. Okay. Just a small seven-inch uh, boning knife, not any big samurai sword, but uh, it does the job for me. It's nice and it's not too flexible, but it's nice and thin. It's just uh, it works for me, you know. But I think one of the biggest things that I had to learn over the years was how to actually sharpen it correctly. Um, ah, yep. So you got a stone at home? Stone strops. Yeah, it's uh, you kind of go into a bit of a rabbit hole when it comes to knife sharpening, and then next, sure minute, you do. next minute you've got a drawer of bricks that your wife is like, "What's what's these bricks in the drawer?" <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and you see some of the elaborate um, like scaling and and filleting um, stations that guys sort of you know have engineered for their backyards. It's a, it's it's pretty funny, and then you add all the knives and all the sharpening equipment as well. You pretty soon you've got a, a shed full of good stuff. Yeah, I always tell yeah. people when they when they ask me about like how to cut a fish, I say, well, you you got to start with a really good knife, especially with these small lionfish. A blunt knife just means you're going to hack away and you're not going to get a nice a nice fillet off of it. So if it if it mm. can't shave hairs, it's not sharp. Yeah. What about your dive knives? Do you give them the same treatment now that you know how to sharpen? Or I mean, have you got a small icky knife with you in the water? I mean, what, what are you using with? Because you're dealing with lionfish all the time. I'm wondering what your in water knife is. So I always have a knife on me, but with the lionfish, uh, we have have the um, EMT shears, the same okay. shears that, that paramedics will use to remove clothing. So the, the hinge on the, on the scissors is kind of halfway up the blade. Um, so that's what we use to at least remove the spines super quick and easy. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm getting, yeah. All right, and, and where, do, where do you buy them? Like at a medical supplies station? Uh, you can oh. go on, on Amazon and pick them up for like two bucks a piece, um, cheap ones at least. If you go to some dive shops, like the tackle store here, they bring in one that has a, a sheath that has a little you know, loop for your belt. So mine's always on the belt with a little piece of Velcro to hold them on. But as far as knives go, um, I like sort of stiletto style knives. Um, actually very yeah. rare, just, just a couple of weeks ago, a, a client of mine uh, tipped me a, a Spyderco dive knife, which is, was an incredibly kind gesture. Um, and it's a beautiful knife. It's, uh, it's H1 steel, so it doesn't rust, which is a, a, big, a big plus because, especially as you get down in the Caribbean, any piece of stainless steel really shows its quality after the first dive. Um, yep, yep, yep. And I've been using this knife for almost a, 
mm, probably 50 dives now and still no rust. So ah, excellent. Expensive, excellent. but good quality. All right, um, let's just like, so those scissors, what was the name of them? Something shears. The... EMT, so like uh, paramedic. Uh, Yep, yep. Okay, so, EMT shears. shears and, uh, yeah. like, so you, like if another guy is just heading out and they want to start regularly targeting lionfish, what, what's, what's in your equipment bag? I mean, you can use a spear gun, but is a, is a three-prong something, is it, is it more effective, do you think, if you want to actually go out and target them? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the method. So if you're scuba diving and you're using one of the zookeepers, then something like a paralyzer tip, you know, the long tips without a barb is probably the best option for you. If you're freediving off the beach, uh, spearfishing for these lionfish, then I personally like the shorter three prongs with the little micro barbs at the tip. Okay. It, has a, it has a bit of a better hold on the meat, so you can kind of get in there with your scissors. And it's just, I, I like the balance. So we're, we're, we're oh, excuse me, we're really just using like four foot spears, um, three prong tips, just small, lightweight. You know, we don't need anything too big and, and heavy. Yeah. yeah, and then scissors, definitely got to get a good pair of EMT shears. Your kitchen scissors, whilst they might work, uh, can actually become more dangerous. So you really yeah. want a set of shears that have uh, a serrated edge and a smooth edge. So the serrated edge like grips the spine and then the smooth edge will remove it. If you've got two straight smooth edges from like your kitchen scissors, the spine will just slide around and then you've got a bit more of a dangerous issue on your hands. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to linking some vids up um, just, sh just to show guys kind of um, what this process looks like when you're um, cutting them all off. So if you want to send me through some vids, that'd be great. I'll yeah. link them up. I always say all to right. guys, if you've got a lionfish on a three prong, it's about 30 seconds to clean it. If you've got it on the end of a regular spear where that, that fish can spin around in circles, you've kind of got to get your thumb in the mouth and take your time, um, maybe a minute or two minutes to clean it. So the pole spear is just fast and effective. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Any any sort of parting tips for for guys wanting to target lionfish or um... don't get stung. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Any tips for, for lionfish? So finding them is often the challenge, especially if you're only diving in the day. So it's it's if you've got to make lots and lots of dives, you get tired. You might not come across any. So the rocks that you're looking for are any coral head or any rock that's a little bit bigger than those nearby, especially especially if you're seeing um, a school of small you know, fry or small um, uh, baby fish around it. If you can see a rock that's kind of a mushroom shape, has some structure to it, especially if it has some sort of hiding spot underneath, um, that's a big hotspot. I can go almost every week to the same coral head in the same dive site and still remove lionfish from it consistently weekly for the last few years. They definitely oh, wow. favor certain types of structure at least in, as far as like the look of it goes. And you know, it's incredible when you find this big rock covered in small baby fish, you dive down, you look underneath and there's like three lionfish just chilling. Um, and you realize that for the lionfish, that's like heaven. They found this home and it's covered in food and the food doesn't know that, that the lionfish is a problem. What we then see is when we remove those lionfish and I'm back on the surface cutting spines, all of the native, all the local fish so slowly start moving back in on it and like rehoming themselves. Um, uh, yeah. That's really gratifying to see. So it's also a good a good reason to hunt them because that sounds like the the lionfish are just heading straight for like your local reef fish nursery areas, and just Absolutely. hammering the the local population. So that's there's some really good insights and uh, and a, and a great fishery good thing you got going on there. Today's podcast brought to you by Audible. 
Now, you can check out uh, Audible. It's basically audiobooks. If you like the Noob Spirit podcast, you're probably going to like listening to a book. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro to get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Now, some of the audiobooks that Turbo and I both like are the 4-Hour Series by Tim Ferriss. Uh, there's the 4-Hour Body, the 4-Hour Workweek, the 4-Hour Shift. They're all good. His latest book is uh, Tools of Titans. It's unfortunately not an audio version yet, but definitely check out uh, the 4-Hour Workweek. It's friggin' hilarious. I also would like to listen to The Undisputed Truth by uh, Mike Tyson. I think that would be a great uh, read. And also Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. It's a... It's the simple science of building the ultimate male body, and uh, I definitely need that. But uh, you can check this out. Get a book for free. Uh, just pump it in audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Sparrow. Give it a blast. Check it out. Support the Noob Sparrow podcast. All right, let's move on to the next part. Uh, the funniest thing. What's the funniest thing you've seen out spearfishing so far? Ooh. I mean, there's been a lot. I, you know, 99% of my clients are, are first timers, so there's always that noob spiro. Uh, not to plug you there, there's always that noob spiro kind of thing where people don't are not always aware of what's going on. I, I don't. There's so many different stories, and you know, the, the joke's always on the other person. So funniest thing <laughs> I've I've probably done. Uh, I don't know. I, I stung myself accidentally on a on a stonefish. Uh, well, uh, spotted scorpionfish once. Um, what happens there? To, well. Is it similar to, to a lionfish, the stonefish? Same like family. Like in terms of your effects? Yeah. Sa- yeah, same family, but these uh, scorpionfish, they look like rocks, so they're completely like camouflaged. Um, yeah. I was in an area where there was a bit of wave action, and I just jammed my forearm against the plain rock that was next to me uh, to hold myself yep. in position and just put it straight onto a scorpionfish. Um, oh. ten, 10 times worse than a lionfish, I tell you that, 10 times worse. So oh. the funniest thing was me in the middle of a, a work dive with clients screaming in pain like a little girl oh wow wow so what did you do just abandon ship and just get back on the boat uh sorry get back on the shore and call it a day yeah unfortunately so uh it was one of those things where i'm like we, we were already like two two and a half hours into that dive i think so uh the guys were actually kind of ready to head in anyway so it wasn't it wasn't like it was five minutes in okay um, yeah, but you just have to abandon ship and, and just get the hot water on it and uh, get the towel in the mouth and just grit and bear it. Yeah. I can't imagine doing spearfishing as a job and, you're, and you've been out, you know, you've been in the water for three hours or something and nature calls. What do you, what do, you do in that situation? <laughs> uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> I plead the fifth. Uh, yeah, there's no answer for that really. Uh, yeah. You have to swim down current. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and take care of business. And just, no, there's, and just there's no explain way you're it. using a, a different burlying technique. Correct. I tell you what, what really put me off uh, parrotfish, for example, was uh, the first time I, I had to take care of business, and then watching some of some particular reef species that some local guys like to hunt and eat, uh, watching them be the only ones interested in in uh, my business, and I quickly <laughs> I quickly got over the the desire to eat that fish. <laughs> yeah 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 i can imagine that, that would uh that would that would be uh that would be a turn off for eating any sort of fish if they're um if they're eating your your number two that's for sure exactly all right all right cool what's in your what's in your dive bags so it's pretty warm there um obviously you've got a three-prong pulse but do you favor any brands um so actually uh i really like the Cressy Pulse Beer. 
Um, really, really simple two-piece. Well, it's a three-piece, but we use just two sections. But actually, probably the, the one that I've used the most and the one that I really, really like is a, uh, a guy invented something called the fold spear. So it's okay. just like a, a tent pole. So it's like an aluminum pole with a big, thick elastic cord in the middle. So it's a four-foot pole, but it breaks down and folds down into like one-foot sections. Um, oh, nice. Considering how thick it is, it's actually really lightweight um, and it still hits with, with a good bit of force. So the fold spear, um, is a fantastic pole, especially for traveling. Um, very, very tough. I mean, I've been using it for like four years, um, and the pole itself is in, almost immaculate. Um, so it's just um, aluminium or yep. aluminium, as our <laughs> American listeners will like. Uh, yeah, I've, been, okay. I've been living living here too long. Aluminium, correct? That's that's the right way to say it. But I've been living here too long, and it's all aluminium. Yeah, yeah. That's ah, um, all good. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I love what a about suits. Gun. Oh yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. Yep. No, no, you're uh, right. Yeah, it's uh, all the guns that they were used to stock here back when I kind of first started are like Bushat and Maras and all guns that don't have that integrated rail. And it's something that I was really drawn to for obvious reasons. So I love myself a Rob Allen. Um, definitely a big fan of them. Um, wetsuits. I'm currently using a, a 1.5 Cressy suit. It's the Cressy Freedom. It's more of a freedive suit. It has that like shiny finish on, on the front, but it's not so much about keeping warm here. It's about you know keeping the sunburn away. Yep, 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 yep. yep. So I was okay. I picked up. I met Warren Warren Bird. I picked up a, a hex skin. Uh, oh, nice. At, at Dima last year, I, I put in oh, my order cool. and got a skin. So at the moment, for like regular work dives, uh, I actually use the the hood. They have a separate like lycra hood. Okay. And I use that just to keep me out of the sun. It's fantastic at, at keeping you. Uh, keeping the sun off the back of your neck and stuff. If I'm doing dives on the East Coast or I'm doing like more advanced dives, Wahoo dives, stuff like that, um, I'll put that skin over the top of the suit just to give uh -huh. me that little extra edge, you know? Um, well, but it's not something it I feel, use every day. Does it feel different when you're using it? I mean, I've only had it for a couple of months now. Um, I think that Warren said it best and that that was that you don't notice it until you don't use it. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway because people have called me out on it all the time. They say, man, that's just, that's just you know, crazy science. It's not going to work. Uh, and I yeah. do agree. The hunting technique is the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you can get that little edge, if you can get that little bit closer, if you can keep the, that fish a little calmer, you know, uh, like you say, it's, it's, it's when you're not wearing it is when you realize, oh, my God, these fish are yeah. spooky. I think I think Sparrows, you know, like sometimes we're not the earliest adopters to technology, and and maybe they felt like um, the claims that some people made about Hex. I don't think Warren's ever made them. It's not it's not going to turn you into a great hunter overnight, but it does give you maybe a slight advantage, and and definitely in specific situations. And uh, so um, I'll be interested to hear how you go with that suit for the next year because. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty hard wearing, I've heard, because of that added sort of mesh in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole, the whole thing about it, like you say, there's a lot of guys, mostly on the forums, that were kind of bigging it up and making big, bold claims. And people then, you know, lost uh, faith, I think, or at yeah. least some people have lost a bit of faith in the product. But the science is there. You can't deny science. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think guys are affected by them long term, honestly. Like, when um, roller spear guns sort of hit, hit the market, like, a little, like in terms of like the popularity started to rise, because they've actually been around a while. Oh, you know, yeah. there, was a lot of, there was a lot of sort of, 
you know, um, pretend physicists that got on and wrote their formulas about why they wouldn't work. And I've seen the same stuff done with carbon fiber fins. And, you know, some guys were just like, no, 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 why would you go away from plastic? And, and d dudes even did it when they went from a, you know, three-pronged spear to, to a single barb with flopper. And, um, you know, we're notoriously bad at adopting to technology, so it's nothing new, I think. So it's all good. Um, I mean, I it's, just, uh, it's just part and parcel of it. I will say that if you come to the Caribbean and you see some of the local guys and you see the, the way they dive and the gear that they use and the fish that they can shoot, it does make you think, do I really need carbon fiber? Do I really need a hex suit? Do I really need yeah, all this yeah. stuff? Nah, when there's a guy yeah, here exactly. with, with $10 of equipment uh, shooting big fish. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it either. If that's what you want to do, by all means, go and do it. But some guys, I think, you know, they get out for their one dive every fortnight and they just want to make the most of it. And so Absolutely. they'll take all the advantages that equipment can confer to them. And I, I think good on them as well. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Some guys, like, with, you know, they've got a, they love their homemade guns. And, and I've got nothing against homemade guns as long as they get the job done, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an yeah. exact science. And you need, I think you need a lot of patience for those homemade guns, you know. It's, uh, it's easy to, to shape a piece of wood and cut a track, but it's another thing to balance it and get it shooting straight. And as we all know, that's that's the most important thing, not the size, not the power, it's it's the accuracy. Yeah, 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 you just wanna, you wanna, you, you wanna you wanna take what you shoot at. Um, I, I hate wounding stuff, and I oh, yeah. <laughs> I will admit that in my early years I did it a, a fair bit. Uh, I was a notorious gut shot with a with a with a with a crap gun I had. Um, save it, yeah. Um, oh, good. Um, what else is in your gear bag? So we've we've covered sort of suits and, and guns. What, yep. and we've talked a bit about knives. What what else are you using? What, what do you love? One of the best bits of kit that I've started using again relatively recently is the Paralens camera. Okay. So kind of moved away from the GoPro and I'm now using this Paralens uh, camera that's like a side mount. It looks like a flashlight. Um, amazing bit of kit. Uh, I had no problems with my GoPro at all. Uh, I had two of them, but the Paralens is is a bit of a real game changer for divers. So I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've no, know much about it. I've never it seen one. Now nah, walk us through. Tell us, tell us about them. Yeah, so it's, it looks kind of like a little flashlight. Um, you know, it's like a side mount on the side of your head to your mask. So great little position there as well. But it's, I think, the key features that uh, that I really enjoyed so far is like the the automatic depth color correction. So it has okay. a built-in built-in depth sensor. So every meter you go down, it will automatically and digitally adjust like the color correction. So you oh, don't well. need a, you don't need a filter. Um, you don't need to worry about losing you know valuable light, especially when you're at depth. Um, so it does it all automatically, and it, it just looks so crisp. You know, it saves wow. me a, it saves me a ton of time as well in not having to do color correction afterwards on a slow old laptop. Um, okay, what's the, the frame rate and resolution on it? It can go up to 4K. Um, I typically just do 1080 at 60, but it goes up to 4K. So yeah, great little camera, shoots an awesome photo. Um, the, the color correction is great, and I th I've always enjoyed it. I think Ryan Myers was one of the first guys that I remember watching him put out a video that had like a, a little depth readout in the bottom corner, which I, I believe he did manually. This was years ago. So this camera does it for you now. So every time I film oh, a wow. dive, it's just there in the bottom showing you exactly where I'm at. Wow, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I thought so too. I, that was like, I love that little feature. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd, that'd, that'd be interesting. For my, for my GoPros, I had to buy like that extra battery, you know, just to get, if I'm especially if I'm out with, with guys and it's a work dive, I'm trying to film and take pictures of their first experience spearfishing. Um, mm -hmm. Battery life is always a, always a challenge. The, yep. the Paralens doesn't have, a, doesn't have a removable battery, but the battery it does have, uh, you easily get three and a half hours, you know, out in the water with it on, 
Um, it also has a feature that doesn't auto record. So as soon as you leave the surface, you can have it so that it just starts filming. So you never forget. I'm sure we've all been yep. there where we've, you know, realized only after shooting a fish that the camera wasn't rolling. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's yeah. a lot of really, really nice features. Um, it's a little more expensive than a GoPro, but if, if all you do is dive, I definitely think it's worth that extra couple of bucks for sure. All right, cool. And what was the name of it again? Paralens. Paralens. All right. Yep. And, um, and uh, like, it's, it's shaped more like a torch. Um, can you pick them up on Amazon? What, what's kind of the, what are they, like 10, 20% dearer than a the GoPro? Yeah, probably 20% is probably representative. Um, I don't know if you can get one on Amazon just yet, but there's definitely some distributors in the US. I believe these guys are based out in Europe. Um, I, I met them at DEMA, uh, last year's DEMA, okay. and, and just fell in love with the camera straight away and was like, I have to get my hands on one. Um, so yeah, so that's the camera. So I think, I'm trying to think who it is in the US that sells them, but if you Google it, it'll definitely show up. There's definitely a couple of those right. out there. I'll try and link that up in the show notes. I haven't heard that before, and I'd actually be interested in having a look at a couple of vids that um, are using this Paralens. So maybe you can shoot us through a vid or something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as well. Actually, yeah, actually cool. the, the first video I filmed with it was a, it was a lionfish derby um, down at around 30 to 35 meters. Um, okay. So yeah, that's on the YouTube channel there, and you can just see even at 30 meters, all the coral is. I, I don't even see it as red as it was in real life. So that's how it could be, <laughs> the color correction. Color correction is, yeah. It looks so good. Uh, it yeah. looks even better than when you actually see it with your with your own eyes. Uh, I love that, yeah. I mean, some of the guys that are doing, you know, in post-editing, they can make the GoPro stuff look awesome. But um, uh, if you've got, a, you know, a feature that allows that process to be a lot easier then then why not do it um for sure and I, I like this idea so i'll have a look yeah definitely definitely all right cool so, what, uh, so the right. rest of the dive bag i've been using some deep apneas some carbons for many years now uh yeah when i because uh, i also do a lot of free diving so when i first got these these carbons my first kind of priority was let's go deep so yeah. <laughs> about a week after buying them i i hit 60 meters uh with, oh, these, wow. with these deep apneas i loved them i fell in love you know from the beginning and as I'm sure most people with carbons will tell you, when you first get them, you treat them like they are glass. You treat them like they're yeah. fragile as hell. <laughs> and then over the years, you quickly realize you can throw them around. You can knock them into rocks and they're actually really tough. So I like those. Uh, currently using a really nice Cressy Nano mask. Um, yeah, as we all know with masks, it's, it's not about the mask, it's about the fit. Yep. So it just fits me perfectly. And actually, I have a couple of them in my box for people to use. The great thing about my position is that I've, even though we don't have the big shops here to like go and try everything on, um, because of the business, I, it means I've been able to buy a whole bunch of gear and test it out and figure out what works for me. And then whatever yeah, nice. doesn't work, it's like I say to the wife, well, you know, I need it for work. <laughs> so <laughs> so I've, I've got quite the collection of, of high quality masks, uh, most of which don't fit me. <laughs> but they're great yeah. for other people. They're great for other people. Honestly, like I, I tend to use that generic mask that like, four or five of the brands all, all, all sell and they rebrand and, and sell the same one. That seems to work good for me, but um, you know, everyone's definitely got, it's very um, relative, you know, masks are such a, a, a funny one. Everyone, you know, has a different face. I always say to people, you know, that, that when, you, when you're starting out in the sport or, you know, the mask, you, you, you can't go cheap on a mask. That's, that's the only way that you're able to be underwater, diving, looking, seeing. So that should be something that you don't, skimp on don't um, skimp on yeah if you've got a, a cheapy mask you're going to have a cheapy experience and the water is going to leak and silicon's going to degrade you know all that stuff 
Yeah, okay, cool. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. Spiro Q&A. So this is kind of like a faster round of, um, of questions. So, look, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Uh, you've got nothing to prove. Oh, good. The, the, I like the fish, the fish definitely don't care or don't think about you as much as you think about them. <laughs> all right. If you, if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? I would have taken a free dive course much sooner. Ah, okay, nice, nice. All right. Who is the best person to go spearfishing with and why? The guy with the boat. <laughs> <laughs> have, and especially the guy that a, likes to drive his boat. Have you got a spearfishing buddy over there who's your, who's your absolute favorite? The same guy that, that helped me out at the very beginning is still a guy that I dive with from time to time. Um, yeah, we just have this, we just have this unspoken communication. We just know what each other's doing in the water. We know that everyone, we're watching each other's back. Um, yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's, that's what I was looking for. All right, what, what would be uh, your fish of a lifetime? If you could take any fish, what would it, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, there's quite a few, actually. <laughs> it depends on where I'm, where, which part of the world you're talking about. For me, All I right. think probably something like a really juicy wahoo. Something in the 80-pound range would be, for me, a fish of a lifetime. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, uh, me too. I haven't even shot one yet. Um, okay. And the la last question, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? One sentence. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's a tough one. I talk about, I talk about spearfishing for a, for a job, so it's, it's hard. Um, what does it mean in one sentence? Uh, quality, uh, freedom, yeah. um, happiness. That's the, the, you know, it took me years to, for this business to make enough so that I can actually have it as my, my thing. And I value that opportunity for everyone who's ever, who's ever dove with me. You know, I can't express how appreciative of I am for those people to do that because it's enabled me to, to do what I love and not be stuck at a desk all day. No, not, no, not to brag or offend anyone, but you know, I realized early on that this is what made me happy in life. Um, and I just did everything in my power to try and make it my, my living. Um, so yeah, it no, means everything great, to me. It means everything to me. Free diving and spearfishing. It's awesome to be talking to someone who's living the dream. You're in Barbados. You've got uh, you've got spearfishing Barbados and free diving Barbados. Where can people come and find you? Just put a .com at the end of those, and you've got me. Spearfishingbarbados.com and freedivingbarbados.com. All right. And uh, are you are you on all the social channels? Can guys come and have a look at what you're shooting and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So Facebook and Instagram. Again, just put a forward slash and put put Freediving Barbados or put Spearfishing Barbados. Um, we have one YouTube channel, which is just Spearfishing Barbados. So again, we have that custom URL for all the social media. So really, really easy. Yeah, mm, yeah the thing in the place, cool. that's me. <laughs> so so do, do you do freediving courses now? Are you an instructor as well? Correct, yeah. So uh, the freedive school has been running, this would be the third year the school has been running. Um, I'm about, actually, I'm, I'm six weeks away from going back to the Bahamas to compete again. So okay. uh, I also really enjoy the competitive freediving. It's not for everyone, but it's, uh, I, I get a real kick out of it. Um, even though, as you can probably tell by now, I was born in the UK, but I, I married uh, a Barbadian girl and got my citizenship. Oh, wow. So I'm actually, uh, I represent Barbados as far as the freediving goes. Um, oh, awesome. So have you got a so, Barbados record or all the Barbados records? All of the depth records, yeah. The with oh, fins, wow. no fins, and free immersion. Yeah, so the deepest oh, dive awesome. I've done is 84 meters. So I'm hoping, hoping, fingers crossed, that we can maybe improve that just a tiny bit in a few weeks' time. Yeah. I've heard it takes a couple of weeks to kind of build up back up to um, doing those sorts of dives. So but good luck, man. That sounds Appreciate really it. exciting. You.
And uh, great, great chatting with you today. Um, Alex, um, any final message for our audience? Any last piece of advice for the Noob Sparrows out there listening? Uh, I've, I've kind of, I wouldn't say I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot over, over the years. And when people say don't dive alone, they don't just mean get in the water with a buddy, they mean stick together, please. Um, I see it all too often, guys get in the water and then they split up and do their, do their own thing. That means you're diving solo, that doesn't count. Um, so actually be responsible, take it seriously, understand the risks. And honestly, if you wanna get better at spearfishing, you gotta start with a free dive course. And I'm not just saying that as an instructor, because for me that was, I noticed an immediate improvement in my spearfishing ability was working on my free diving. If I could go back and do it again, I would have taken that course much sooner. Um, yeah. I learned so many bad habits in the two years before I finally took a course um, that I would have, yeah, would love to have taken back if I could and done it, done it quicker. Great advice, man, and uh, and uh, it's a common message we hear on the show. So uh, awesome, awesome chatting with you, Alex. We've had an absolute ball and and learned a shitload about uh, lionfish. And uh, I'm looking forward to plugging a few when I get a chance. And uh, it might be in your neck of the woods. So I'd, I want to come out there maybe 2020. I've got another buddy in St Lucia, so oh, beautiful. I'm, I'm, I might have to stop by and and see you as well. And uh, and when, yeah, me, no. when me and Turbo get around to our world tour. Well, I, I appreciate it. I've been listening to the podcast for, for years now, uh, and it's been an absolute pleasure to finally, to finally get to talk to you guys. Yeah, and, and, and also, thanks for being um, you know, active on the Noob Spiro community Facebook group. And uh, you know, there's always questions on there, and um, it's good to have experienced guys in there helping, helping people out. So awesome to have you with us, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. I think I learned just as much as I, I try and give out. Yeah, all good. All right, Alex, well, I'll, I'll catch you later, man. Awesome. Have a great night. Appreciate it. Sometimes it's time to spend some money on yourself. And there's nothing like a new spear gun. That's right. Head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a big range of spear guns. Get tempted and read the customer reviews and really sort of have a look at what they've got to offer. Turbo and I love the Manny Sub roller guns. You can buy them at spearfishing.com.au. Go in and check out the spear guns. If you do decide to buy something, pump in the code NOOBSPEAR at checkout and save $20 on every purchase over $200. If you do have problems, they have a hassle-free returns policy, cheap shipping rate worldwide and a price beat guarantee for Australia. You can also check out the stores in Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne and get help from more than 40 underwater experts. Online, they also have live help. You can talk to people online and ask any questions you might have about products. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a huge range of spear guns. Well, that's today's episode. Did you enjoy it? Let us know. Let us know on Facebook if you thought this was a great episode and uh, and tell us what you learnt. Big thanks to Alex Davis and a big thanks to Shrek. Great chat. Absolutely fantastic. All right, guys, that's it from me for another fortnight. Remember, the books are cracking along. We hope to get that out very shortly. And if you are going diving, remember, always take a buddy, one up, one down. Dive safe, guys. Stay safe. Remember, there's more to life than just diving, so we don't want any more accidents out there in the water. Um, and if you see a new guy, you see new guys on the rocks, mate, go and have a chat with them. Take them for a dive. Show them the ropes. Better to do that than have someone go and do something silly and hurt themselves. And that's what it's about, keeping everyone safe and having a good time. All right, that's enough from me. Everyone hates hearing the safety spiel. 
It usually comes from Shrek, old Papa Shrek, but I thought I'd do it in his absence. But either way, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for everyone's support out there. And we can't wait to speak to you in another fortnight's time. Guys, Sparing Magazine have joined the Noob Spiro podcast to bring this episode to you today. Now, Sparing Magazine are... They're actually they're the best spearfishing magazine in the world. I'm saying it. Turbo said it. Now you know it. And uh, <laughs> if you head over to Sparing Magazine, you can check out the team. They've got Jeremy Gamble, John Paul Castro, Sky Bailey, Christopher Landers. You have a look. There's some f- fantastic people they've got on staff. And that's why they produce the world's best spearfishing magazine. The photography is just popping. The stories are awesome. Turbo's been rejected several times. And... Uh, that's how you know it's top quality. So head over to SparingMagazine.com. You can buy it. You can buy it at your local retailer in the US. We you can even get the digital subscription online. SparingMagazine.com.